for being here, especially as Josh mentioned. Couldn't believe when I let the dogs out this morning. There are flurries. I'm like, where did this come from? He mentioned the forecast. It was not in my forecast. <laughs> I don't know if the weatherman got it right or not. I doubt it. Uh, but yeah, welcome to North Carolina, right? Uh, it'll probably be 80 degrees later this week, but hey, that's North Carolina. So, good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Jeff. I am a student pastor. Um, and since others are doing hosting and announcing and all that, um, I don't get to be up here as much, which I am enjoying. Um, so I am enjoying the opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, looking, been looking forward to it. And yes, no matter what Josh says, anytime there's a difficult text, he sees it ahead. He says, hey, can we give that to Jeff? All right. <laughs> so thank you, Josh, for the opportunity to preach. And thank you, church, um, for those of you who are here. And online, uh, thank you for the support of my family and our student ministry. Uh, you guys reach out and check on Mandy and Carson often. Um, Mandy actually made it this morning. We weren't sure. Uh, she is in the back, uh, not in the back of the sanctuary, but in the back. She should be here soon. Um, Carson, of course, um, we're still trying to figure out the next step in treatment for her. So just continue to uh, pray for her. She is home a lot uh, now, uh, not working currently, so if you've got free time during the day, it's okay, call her, reach her out to her, talk to her, don't just text, give her a call, give her a shout out. Uh, if, just, if this is your first time here, welcome, we're glad you're here, uh, and of course, as Pastor Josh already said, shout out to the Unashamed students, you guys rock. All right, so, I completely forgot this morning that we were having a Q&A. This was my introduction. So, I was thinking through the impact of merging with the Hispanic church. How will that look? Will that cause problems? Will it work? Will we face issues? Will it cause conflict? <laughs> and then I settled on this, because I have no idea about the details. How is this going to work with us being here, them being in room 100, sound? All that. I have no idea about the details, but I settled on this. I'm actually looking forward to it. Why? Simple. Because of the gospel. Because we get a chance to grow out of our comfort zone and grow and learn while we reach others and while others reach others. That's exactly what we were supposed to do. This is why Paul wrote to the book of Galatians. He needed to address how the Galatians had compromised the gospel. You see, whenever cultures come together, confusion, misunderstandings, and possibly even conflict happens. Sometimes this happens because of a language barrier. Um, I heard a story recently about a Ukrainian pastor who was visiting the U.S. And he didn't, he didn't speak English very well. And so he was in a Starbucks. He saw a lady there with a big, beautiful dog, and he wanted to be friendly. So he described how the uh, Ukrainian word order compared to English is the word order, order is a little differently. So he walked up to her, and if you can imagine in his heavy, thick accent, accent, he said, what is your name, dog? And she kind of looked at him funny, and so he repeated it. So I'm sure he created some kind of conflict this morning, that morning. But, you know, that's the joys of cross-cultural ministry. Uh, there are times where language cannot be the only thing that's a barrier. Anytime you have people from different cultures, different walks of life that are in close proximity with one another, 
there can be issues. The theme of the Galatians is the gospel, and many of us, when we think about the gospel in relation to the Christian life, we think of the gospel as when we first enter into the Christian life, when we first enter into relationship with Christ. And we think of that, and we don't really think of it past that. We think of it, well, according to Paul, the way we grow in Christ is the same way we begin in Christ, by the gospel. You don't grow in Christ by going beyond the gospel. You grow in Christ by going deeper into the gospel. Think of it like a well. To get the best water from a well, you don't get the best water by making the well larger. You get the best water by going deeper into it. A lot of people, when they think of the way we grow as Christians, they think of it as we follow certain rules, that we learn the ABCs of Christianity, that uh, we follow specific commands and specific things and learn doctrines, but that's not it at all. Imagine it this way. Think of the Christian life as a pool. Most people think the gospel is the diving board. And if you're a real man, you never enter a pool by the stairs. Just saying. All right. Either dive in or jump in, one or the other. That's what real men do. Even, uh, even though they can't swim, they still jump in. But don't think of the Christian life as, or the gospel as the diving board. Really and truly, the, the gospel is the entire pool. Because we grow deeper through Christ in our relationship by the gospel. So Paul is going to show us in Galatians that this text, he's going to deal with practical problems such as divisions in the church, conflict with other believers. And he does this not by taking them around the gospel, but by going deeper into it. So, before we go to our text, you can turn to Galatians chapter 2. When you get there, say, got it. Galatians chapter 2. Somebody's got it. All right, we got one person that's got it. When you get there, say, got it. All right, cool. Before we get there, you can follow this on the screen. Let me provide a little bit of background. Uh, so, we'll be in Acts chapter 10. If you don't want to turn there, not a problem. It's going to be on the screen the next day. As they, disciples, were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing for it, he fell into a trance. This fell into a trance. He had a dream. <clears throat> he had a trance, and he saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. We're talking like pigs and rabbits and all those type things. And there came a voice to him that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. God shows Peter that Jesus' death had made all foods clean for the believer and their normal ritual cleanliness that the Jews practiced for certain foods did not have anything to do with being close to God. So, we'll begin Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Ready? Here we go. But when Cephas, this is Paul's nickname for Peter, it meant rock. When Cephas, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, he stood blamed. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, 
fearing the circumcision party, fearing the Jewish legalistic leaders, verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas, who was like the nicest guy, he was even led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conflict was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, I said to Cephas before them all. Now, this had to be something, quite something to watch. Here you have Peter and Paul getting ready to have a confrontation. I mean, this was the early Christian church pay-per-view, right? I mean, this was a big bout. I am sure it had to be awkward. But sometimes confrontation in church needs to happen, and sometimes it gets awkward. But you have to love people and love the gospel enough to do so. In verse 14, at the end part, uh, the, uh, 14b, it says, If you who are a Jew, this is Paul talking to Peter, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul starts explaining the gospel to Peter, which may seem odd, but Paul is basically saying, Peter, at, his, at this core, at the core of this sin, of what's going on, this hypocrisy and how you're leading people away, this is a gospel issue. The gospel is that we are justified by Christ and not because of something that we do or don't do, not because of something that we eat or don't we eat. It is because we accept Christ's righteousness as our own. Before we go any further, let's just stop and pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning and for this time. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just take my inadequacies, Lord, my weakness, Father, and just push them aside. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, that we would hear through your word. Father, it's my prayer, Lord, that we as a church, Father, whether watching online or watching uh, or, or here in person, Lord, that you would open the ears and the hearts to the preaching and teaching of your word. We need you now. In Christ's name, amen. So here we see that Peter is out every night eating high on the hog, literally. Because right when she, once you eat bacon, there's no going back, right? I mean, I really wanted to ask Brandon to have a smoker ready with some bacon outside so you guys can smell it on the way in because there's just nothing like bacon, right? We have bacon biscuits, bacon, egg, and cheese. We have bacon wrap fillets, bacon wrap. You can just, the list goes on. It's good stuff. Um, maybe that should be our, um, uh, when we go on the mission field, that should be one of our entrance statements. Hey, look, try bacon. <laughs> You'll see the truth, right? <laughs> All right. Some of the Jews from, but then some of the Jews from Jerusalem show up. Peter withdraws and goes back to his old ways of not eating what the Jews considered unclean. He even went a step further and he stopped eating with the Gentiles entirely. So Paul addresses this. Paul explains that most of our conflict goes back to a failure to understand and apply the gospel. In verse 14, he said, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel or that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, he is showing us that barriers exist because we try to justify ourselves, to declare ourselves righteous and our acts good. The Jews did this by the law, by obeying the law. 
this law, it's, they felt, had separated them from the rest of the world, from the Gentiles, because how they followed it. They believed that it made them closer to God. They actually had a whole system of things that distinguished them from the world. The Old Testament had 613 laws. 613. In addition to those, the Jews made additional rules. They literally had rules on top of rules, and those rules were laid out so they wouldn't get close to even breaking those laws. And so I can imagine that people just, how did they keep up with it? I know they were thinking, like on the Sabbath, you know, how many steps can I take before it's considered work? Or can I eat turkey bacon? Is that acceptable? Or what about polyester, right? They couldn't wear mixed fibers. And if they polyester, is that, if that was acceptable, it's still a bad fashion choice. So here we see how the people were divided and causing problems. And so first we need to understand that the gospel unites us, not divides us. The gospel unites us, not divides us. We as believers here at our church have one thing in common. We come from different uh, backgrounds, dif different race, different ethnicities. And there is one thing that we have in common, and that is Jesus Christ. We all hold on to the fact that Christ died for our sins on the cross, was buried, and three days later rose again. That is the basis of Christianity. It is gospel at its core, and that is what unites us. We have this in common no matter our background, and we should not allow divisions by our race or those different things to affect us. Check this out. Now get ready. This is deep stuff, so put your big boy theological pants on. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century uh, British pastor, said he saw three main dividers in his society. And these are really still true today. He said that there is the pride of race, the pride of face and place, and the pride of grace. For the pride of race, for many people, their ethnic identity becomes a way of distinguishing them above others. We take pride in our Americanness, in our whiteness, in our blackness, in our southernness, in our Asianness, in our Indian culture, our Hispanicness. This we take pride in those things. When I was a teenager, I had a hat that said, American by birth, Southern by the grace of God. And on the, my forehead, I should have had redneck, right? I was like, really? And that's, we took pride in that Southernness, and we do that all the time. And we think that that is what creates our identity, but it's not. Our cultures, our different backgrounds, they're beautiful. They're, they reflect the glory of God. They're a beautiful thing, but they should not be what creates our identity. Our identity should be in Christ. We get proud of, protective, and even defensive of our culture because we think that's what justifies us. There is only one race, and that is the human race. We as a human race have a one core problem, and that is sin. We, as a human race, with a one core problem of sin, have a one hope, and his name is Jesus. And it is his blood that cleanses us from all sin. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, mixed. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 12, it says, There is no difference in the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all who call upon him. We should not boast or feel superior. What gives you your worth and identity is not your Jewishness, not your whiteness, not your Americanness. 
It is by, not by keeping the law or recognizing your culture. No human being is justified. Paul says, my identity is in Christ. In even Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, Paul shares how he loves being a Jew. He loved his heritage. Compared to his identity in Christ, he said this is no longer important. That my Jewishness compared to my identity in Christ doesn't, it doesn't matter. What matters is my identity in Christ. Listen to this. This is where it gets deep, too. Tony Evans, African-American pastor and author, said it this way. The racial application to Paul's teaching here in Galatians chapter 2 is that it is technically incorrect to say I'm a black Christian or I'm a white Christian. Because now you've made black and white adjectives and Christian a noun, and the job of the adjective is to modify the noun. So now you've got to keep the Christian looking like the adjective that describes it or it ceases to be Christian. But black and white cultures have nothing to do with the essence of being a Christian. It is better to say, I'm a Christian who happens to be white, or I'm a Christian who happens to be black. God is not telling Jewish people to become Gentiles, or Gentiles to become Jews. He's not telling white people to be black people, or black people to be white. He's telling all people to be kingdom people, having crucified their whiteness, their blackness, their Jewishness, or their Americanness to the cross. We as believers, our goal is to glorify Christ, and we do that through unity, not through ethnic or racial division. Oneness is a testimony to the power of Christ, and that is why we as Keystone Church desire to be a diverse church, a place where all people can come to know him and grow in him. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I became all things to all men that I might by all means save some. He even said, to the Jew, I became a Jew. <laughs> how is that? Paul was a Jew. So how could he become a Jew? He was describing that his Jewishness is so, even though it's important, it was as if he could remove it because it was so light. Why? Because his identity in Christ was much more important. And understand for a first century Jew, their Jewishness, their heritage, their culture was extremely important. They were a deeply proud people. They were persecuted. They were discriminated against by the Roman Empire. Their Jewishness was precious. But to Paul, his identity in Christ was more precious. So not only is the pride of race that doesn't matter, then Spurgeon goes on to talk about the pride of face and place. We think of some personal accomplishment or characteristic or ability or talent sets us apart and justifies us before others. We tend to see people in categories, successful, the unsuccessful, intelligent, dull, the fit, the not fit, the beautiful, the ugly. That's what we do. We look down on those who are less than we are in these areas and we feel intimidated by those who have more. I had an opportunity to speak at a couple different uh, Christian school chapels recently, and this is what I talked about, about comparison. We are constantly comparison, comparing ourselves to others, and we constantly look at social media, and we see that they're having a good day or a good life or what have you, and we automatically compare to whether ours is better or worse, and we want to put either makes us feel better or makes us feel worse, and that's wrong. No matter how successful you are, we should not look down on others or look up to others. Do you really think if you were, had been born as an orphan 
in a third world, third world country that you'd have the successes that you have today? No. What we have, especially in America, is a gift. It is by God's grace. I work at a place with several, uh, lots of people who are intelligent, much more intelligent than I am. They are scientists. They have PhDs, and they enjoy the fact of being called a doctor so-and-so. And so when we have conversations, and there's a few of them who have come to me and asked questions because the majority of them are either atheist or agnostic. They don't believe in God at all. They have value in their intelligence, in their wealth, in the things that they have done or acquired, and they think that they have done it. And I've asked them this same question. If you were born in a third world country, as an orphan, would you have the same successes and opportunities that you do now? And they just kind of sit there and look stunned. And I remind them that it is by God's grace. You need to look to him because he has been so good to you, and the devil is using that as a distraction. And we cannot allow that in the church to do the same thing to us. Do you realize that your talents, your abilities, they really don't matter when it comes to things that are important? They couldn't justify you before God. Before God, there is only one kind of sinner, one who was hopeless, one who needs salvation. If we, have to, if we could save ourselves by our own merit, by our own good works, by our own beauty, God would allow us to do that. But we can't. And what we have in Christ is infinitely so much more than without. So who cares if I'm not that intelligent now? I am promised I will inherit the mind of Christ. Who cares? It doesn't matter if I'm not successful now. I have all the promises of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if I'm not successful. It doesn't matter if someone doesn't appreciate me. In Christ, I am loved and accepted by God Almighty. It doesn't matter if I'm not beautiful now. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and one day he'll make my outside match the beauty that he's placed on the inside. And let me say that a little differently. Let me clarify. It doesn't matter if you're not that beautiful, because one day you will have Christ's beauty. Some of us have beauty for 70, 80 years, and then, yeah, now you're getting it. Right. Some of us will have that beauty for 70, 80 years plus eternity. Others will just have it for eternity, but it's okay. It's coming. All right. Yeah, I had to clarify that. So the pride of race makes no sense. The pride of face and place makes no sense. And then Spurgeon says, what's even more so, and worst of all, is the pride of grace. This is the pride that comes from having lived a moral or religious life, having avoided certain sins and mistakes. You feel a sense of pride because you've lived a better life than others. You feel superior, even uh, a distinction over those who haven't lived as you have lived. This is legalism. And even though we are in a legalistic church, we can't have an issue with this. We uh, shouldn't look down on others because they believe differently than the way we do or they don't live the way we think they should live. If this is you, Paul says you don't understand the gospel. In Christ, there are no good people or bad people, no winners or losers, no people who have it all together or people who don't. There is only bad, sinful people without God, without hope, and the fact that God has saved us is simply an act of grace. If your testimony is that you grew up in church and you followed Christ, you didn't smoke, uh, drink, cuss, or chew, and you didn't go with girls that do, 
then you should realize that you have a beautiful testimony. It does not make you superior to those who went down a different path and then returned to Christ. You know, I've tried to explain to our students on different occasions because we all hear those stories of where someone went down a dark path, went to prison, committed these things, these what we would call really bad sins, and then how God saved them, returned them, and they have a great story. So I remind our students, if that's not you and you don't have that kind of story, and you grew up in church and you didn't have that kind of life, that's beautiful testimony. That's wonderful. That means that God, in an act of grace, has saved you from your potential worst sins. Be grateful for that kind of testimony. That's a good thing. But because you had that testimony, it does not mean that you were made of something different than somebody who didn't. We are not better than those. Before God, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, none, not one. There is nothing that you can do to bring you closer to God. It is all a gift of righteousness. So in the gospel, all of these types of prides make no sense. When we place our racial or ethnic identity above our identity in Christ, when we place our status or abilities above our identity in Christ, when we place our good works above our identity in Christ, we forget God's amazing grace. We forget that Jesus, the Son of God, loved us, gave himself for us, that we might be reconciled to him. Before salvation, all people are lost. After salvation, all those people are reconciled. There is no difference. The gospel is what unites us. So not only does the gospel unite us and not divide us, the gospel also should motivate us. If you look back in verse 11, it says, but... That's how this section started. In the previous paragraph, Paul describes uh, how the leaders of the Jerusalem church, including Peter, Pastor Josh preached on this just a couple of weeks ago, how they had all agreed that regarding Titus, nobody required, required Titus, who was a Gentile convert, to follow the law to get circumcised in order to become a Christian. Why? Because the law doesn't contribute anything to a person's salvation. But when Peter came to Antioch, his actions openly contradicted this. His beliefs didn't match his behavior. So the gospel should motivate us. I used to be a manager of a CBS pharmacy and several students at our church worked for me. The one, his name was David. His dad was actually the associate pastor at our church. And David had contacts and he didn't have the um, exposable contacts like what I wear. He had the more expensive ones, the permanent ones, the glass ones. So he was working at a table. It had a bunch of different clearance type stuff in there. And one of his contacts came out and he lost it. He was looking everywhere for it, couldn't find it. It was almost closing time. We called his dad uh, to let him know. And his dad said, don't worry, I'll be right there. His dad came with a flashlight. Within five minutes, he found it. I missed all this clearance stuff. I have no idea how in the world he found it. And his son said, dad, I looked everywhere. I looked for like 30 minutes and couldn't find it. How in the world did you find it? He said, son, you were looking for a contact lens. I was looking for $300. (laughs) If Peter had realized the value that God had placed on the Gentile believers in Antioch, he wouldn't have acted that way. Every day we must be reminded that the gospel should correctly frame our motivations. Just as Israel in the wilderness would went out daily to 
acquire their manna, we should be in God's word every day. When we see the cross daily, this is what motivates us. Paul had no desire to be superior to Peter. He had no desire to humiliate Peter. He only wanted to correct him because of his sin, as well as to correct him because so many other people sinned along with him. So the gospel should motivate you to what? To confront sin. As I mentioned before, Paul confronting Peter was a big deal. Peter was the Jesus-appointed head of the church. This was huge. There are two heavyweights ready to go. But why did Paul do so? Because he wanted to remind Peter of the gospel. And he was secure of his identity in Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, Am I striving to please people? If I were trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Paul knew that Peter's opinion didn't matter compared to Christ's opinion. Fear was the motivation behind Peter. He was afraid of losing popularity. He was afraid of the Jewish leaders, and it affected him and the church and how they treated others. Some of you, some of us, we have family or friends that we should confront because you, you can't because you value their opinion too much. If your identity in Christ is secure, you'll be able to confront that even if it gets awkward. Some of you, you actually need to be confronted, but you're not approachable, so they don't risk it. It all comes down to a heart issue, which Paul explains is a gospel issue. We should not only be motivated to confront sin, we should also be motivated to end hypocrisy. The Greek word hypocrite refers to an actor who puts on a mask who plays another character that's not them. Spiritually, it refers to someone who masks their true character by pretending to be someone or something that they are not. Sadly, this is rampant in churches. In our church, in other churches, it is. Sadly, it is. It, when you see someone and you see them being involved, it gives an impression that they are spiritual, are mature, are committed, but when you dig a little deeper and you discover their personal life, you realize their true character isn't what it seems. We as a church need to step up and defend that, to call it out, just like Paul did, not in a negative way, but through the gospel. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 28, it says, All are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. Paul fights sin with the gospel, not with the law. Peter's actions led others astray. Our actions can have a positive or a negative impact. So the question is, are you pointing people to Jesus, or are you drawing them away from him? Are you pointing people to Jesus or drawing them away? This is why Paul went on to explain to Peter the gospel because he is threatening justification by faith. He was stating that you need to follow these certain rituals, these certain laws, in order to be a Christian and a believer. And Paul was saying, no, that's not it. That's, not, that's legalism. You don't need to imply that you need circumcision or the law to be saved, nor do you need human approval. You need Christ. If we understand grace and that Christ died for all people, 
then how in the world can we feel superior to anyone? Jesus was the example here. He ate and drank with tax collectors. He welcomed all people. And at the great banquet in heaven, there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. God's salvation and his forgiveness justifies us. So the gospel not only unites us, it not only motivates us to confront sin, to end hypocrisy, the gospel also justifies us. Think of it this way. Think of uh, two computer screens. And on one screen is your life listed in details, all the things you've done, good and bad. The other screen is everything written about Christ. God has literally, as long as you have accepted Christ's free gift of salvation, he has literally deleted yours and copy and pasted Christ and copied it over and pasted it to yours. So that way when God sees you, he does not see a wretched sinner. He sees his righteousness. He sees the son, the blood that his son shed. He sees a perfect person, even though we're not. That's the beauty of what the gospel has done for us as it has justified us. That's why Paul says in verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. We have to stop believing that our own good works will save us or produce righteousness. What you truly believe determines how you genuinely behave. You know whether people are believers or not by how they live, not by what they say. You know whether Christians are mature or not, not by what they know, but by how they live. And if we are mature in Christ, we will fight sin. And to do so, we have to do it the same way that Paul did, and that's with the gospel. We must see that sin at its root is a failure to believe and apply and understand the gospel. The students and I have been going through the Ten Commandments. And I realized in studying for this and realizing that statement that we must see sin at its root as a failure to believe the gospel, I started looking at the Ten Commandments that we're studying. We're taking one commandment each week. Um, and tonight, it's about honoring your parents. So if you feel like your student has an issue with that, send them down. All right? So listen to these. The first commandment is, you shall not have any other gods before me. We don't understand the gospel as Christ is the only one who can save us from our sin. And we shouldn't believe in something else to do that. The second commandment, you shall not make idols. Christ is the only one we should worship because he saved us. Third commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Why abuse the name of your Savior? Keep the Sabbath. We follow Christ's uh, directions by worshiping him with other believers. Honor your father and mother. Without your parents, you wouldn't be here. They deserve your honor and respect. The way that you honor and respect your parents is a way and is a picture of how you honor and respect God. You shall not murder. Why take a life that needs Jesus? No one should spend eternity in hell. You should not commit adultery. God created marriage to be sacred, and it is a picture of Christ loving the church, and he died for it. You should not steal. God has given you everything, but most importantly, he's given you salvation. Simply trust him. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. You should not lie because the gospel is the truth. You should not covet. You have Jesus. What more do you need? The gospel is a failure. Excuse me. Sin is a failure to understand and apply the gospel. We can see that through all the commandments. As we close, 
9-11 was a day that will live in infamy in our country. Why? Because 19 men from halfway around the world invaded our nation and brought us to our knees. 19 men in the name of their God changed our nation forever. What do you think thousands of men and women who are fully committed to Jesus Christ can do? We need men, women, students, children. We need parents, couples, families from all backgrounds, all colors, all ethnicities to be united as one who serve the only God, Jesus Christ, who are ready to defend the gospel and be fully devoted followers of King Jesus. We grow the same way that we begin, and that is through the gospel. This shapes our conduct and how we live. So my question is, do you understand the gospel? First, do you know Jesus? And do you understand that is not the beginning of your relationship? This is how you grow, by growing deeper and understanding the gospel more. Let's pray. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.